You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. Father Paul, in your book, you refer to the Maskilim. And, you know, I know this can get confusing when people are not deep in the vocabulary because we have different words for wise people and people who are knowledgeable. And there's lots of nuances that Hebrew offers that don't always come across in English. So when you talk about the word maskilim, what is it about this word and this concept? First of all, maskilim is the plural of maskil. You know, in Hebrew, we have only two grammatical genders, masculine and feminine. Im is the plural for the masculine nouns and ot is the plural for the feminine nouns. So maskilim is the plural of maskil. Now, if we begin with the singular, what is striking, and here one has to follow a concordance, obviously, in Hebrew. (laughs) You can find it in English. You yourself mentioned the reason at the beginning that there are so many words about wisdom and so on and so forth, and it's very hard. And again, before going into the discussion, maskil is technically the participle of the fifth verbal form, which is the hifil. One can hear maskil, hifil. It refers to someone doing this action. But, and here what is striking, is that it is also used as a noun, mainly at the beginning of many psalms especially the Psalm 78, to which I keep referring. It's a maskil, and it's translated as teaching, and thus wise teaching. But let me cut through the whole thing and get to the conclusion. It is related to the Torah, to the teaching of God. Again, let's go to Psalm 78. Once more, a lot of Psalms are entitled maskil, so one can refer to book of Psalms as the book of the Maskilim. (laughs) So this Maskil 78 is very clearly referring to the teaching of the Torah. One more time, Maskil means teaching, it's a noun, but technically speaking, it is a active participle and thus refers to someone who knows that teaching and thus is wise according to the teaching of the Torah. And that is my conclusion. It's not that you are wise, you have knowledge. It doesn't help. And I shall try to make my point in my presentation by referring to specific places where this word is used. The first time this verb in the hifail as verb, haskil, is found very early and then disappears until Deuteronomy. In Genesis 3, in conjunction with the tree from which Eve ate. Let me read it in English. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight in the eyes and then the tree was to be desired to make one 
wise, that's the translation. She took of its fruit and ate. But immediately my hearers have guessed that it's a curve ball against Adam and Eve and all of us hearers that she assumed that she could take over just by eating from the fruit and God earlier said you may not eat from that tree that gives you the knowledge of the good and the evil and thus makes you a judge like God and you know how the play in the discussion between the serpent and Eve is about whether we can be like God. No, one acquires the knowledge from God's mouth and teaching and thus commands sometimes when he tells you not to eat. So this is very clear. But as many a time in the Bible, one will have to wait to figure out what this haskil is. One will have to wait to the book of Deuteronomy where one gets wisdom and understanding and one of the two words is a skill from the Torah. That's the play. I'll visit this issue later by introducing another verb that sounds the same. You know, in Hebrew we have two letters that have the sound S. One is the scene that we have here in the case of Maskil, and one is the Samich. It's a different letter. And I'll speak about the play later. Let me push now the matter of the Maskil. Looking at the concordance, one will notice that by far the highest incidence of maskil as a noun, like in the titles of Psalms, because in the Psalms we have also the word maskil referring to someone who is wise. Whether noun or participle, the highest incidence by far is in the ketubim, the last part of the Old Testament. It is that part of the Bible that is still read in the synagogues, but in conjunction with sharing the knowledge of the law with the Gentiles. So there is an interesting connection here, a footnote here, a study of words in the original. Many of us like to study words in our own language. Now, if the text is original, is if a Russian is reading Dostoevsky, absolutely, I have no problem with that. One is supposed to do that. But when it comes to the Bible, then one has to, first of all, know the language and then work on a concordance in the original. So the highest incidence of this corresponds to what we have in Genesis 3.6, meaning that ultimately this knowledge that God wants us to have and communicate is the one that was offered to Ha'adam at the beginning, to everybody, to all the nations. But as we know, we contravene that. And then God plans wisely, if I may add, to have us rediscover it. So Psalms is the first book of the Ketubim, we have a high incidence of Maskil. Then the other high incidence of Maskil is found in the book of Daniel, which is towards the end of the Ketubim, right before the four books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Chronicles. You know, here the trouble is that all our translations following the Septuagint put Daniel after Ezekiel among the prophets. No, it is among the Ketubim. And Daniel 
is unique among the prophets because he seems to be all over the place he spoke to the babylonians and to the persians and he's presented very early in the book he and his companions as maskilim right at the beginning but their wisdom is immediately connected with the torah then the king commanded ashpenaz in verse 3 of chapter 1 to bring some of the people of israel both of the royal family of the nobility youths without blemish handsome and skillful in old wisdom endowed with knowledge understanding learning and competent to serve in the king's palace and to teach them the letters now immediately after that we are told already in chapter one that they were obedient to the torah in what to eat and not to eat and for these four youths in 17 god gave them learning and skill in all letter and wisdom and daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams and in chapter 2 very clearly i mean the hearer captures that it is because of their knowledge of the torah of god and then at the end without going throughout the book but notice the structure very important for me where words appear at the end we hear twice in chapter 12 that word wise it goes like this and many of those who sleep in the dust that verse 2 of chapter 12 of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt by the way this is from chapter 12 which is the last chapter in the hebrew daniel the septuagint we have two chapters after that but let's stick with the hebrew and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the star forever and ever so clearly here we don't have good people and evil people we have the bad people but on the other hand we have the wise people that turn other to righteousness through the teaching of this wisdom that comes from the torah so it's not just they are good people matthew 5 builds on that and to make this absolutely clear to the hearer a few verses later we have a repetition of the reference to the wise verse 10 many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand wicked is the evil very bad people and notice the opposition but those who are wise shall understand and in both cases we have masculine so it's not that someone goes and gets a degree with plato or aristotle or buddha or so no you have to know exactly what daniel knew in other words in the book of daniel the examples given for this wisdom are daniel and his companions and thus at the end everybody is invited to become wise in this sense after that we have the four books of the story of israel which tells you how the people did not do that the only mention of maskil is found in the book of nehemiah 
in conjunction with the book of the Torah, when the people were listening to learn wisdom, but de facto they did not implement it. Now I come to what I mentioned at the beginning, that in Hebrew we have two letters with the same sound. And it may be, it may be, I will have to do some extra research to show that. But from the concordance in front of me, it seems that it is used very masculinely, very wisely against us, that the highest incidence of this other root, sakal, so we have two sakal, if you like, is found in the story of Israel, which is the books of Samuel and the book of Kings. But its meaning, according to the context, and it's very clear in the concordance, the meaning that is given to it is precisely the opposite of the meaning of the sakal with the scene. Just reading my concordance here, translated as to act foolishly. And that's the meaning. I mean, all translations do it. It doesn't make any sense except to translate it this way from the context. You know, every word has its ultimate meaning from the context. It's like when you say curveball. How can a ball be linked to a curve? It is in the game of baseball. And all the incidences of this sakal are found mainly in the so-called historical books where Israel and its leader err, they do not behave according to the right way. It's a tricky business. And personally, I'm convinced of that already by hearing Genesis 3, 7, as I showed you. The learning is ultimately not the learning of the nations, mainly the Greeks, and the other people, the philosophers, let go to the book of Job. Job was debating with the philosophers, and then at the end we are introduced to a young philosopher who realized that the others were wrong, and he alone was right, and then everybody is shut up first by Job. No, you are all wrong, and then Job is shut up by God, ultimately, because he wanted to assert his righteousness. Remember that word at the end? of Daniel were to be righteous and to be wise is parallel because to be righteous you have to be righteous in the court of God which means according to his wisdom slash teaching God is wise he doesn't need to be taught but we in order to be masculine have to be taught the teaching of God Ultimately, the maskil, if I may put it this way, in Daniel is the one who hears the maskilim of God in the Psalms, which is the teaching of the Torah. This is such a deep topic. If I can just put a plug in for my former professor, Michael Fox, who wrote the Anchor Bible commentary for Proverbs. He has a whole section at the beginning trying to help the non-Hebrew reader understand the different terms for wise and the different terms for foolish. We didn't even enter into the terms for foolish. You know, understanding Hebrew is so important and using the concordance especially. I'm looking at Joshua 1, 7, and 8 where every translator I could find translates this maskil as to prosper and to have success. But when you read it in the context, it's exactly what you're saying. Because in Joshua 1.7, be strong and be courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law. 
Torah, which Moses, my servant, commanded you, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. And translators put that you might prosper wherever you go. But according to what you're saying, that you might become or be wise wherever you go, not only fits this context better, but fits the broader context of what the word is doing. It just attests again to the importance of being wary of translations, the importance of people who do know languages to talk about those languages and to look using those languages to read very carefully. If I had only read this in English, I would have completely misunderstood what this is trying to say. Following the law does not make you prosper. Following the law makes you wise, which may end up prospering you, but the goal is not prosperity. The goal is wisdom. Prosperity comes from God. I discussed this in length in my commentary on Joshua, where the success is used in parallel with being prosperous. But in this context, what is impressive for me in this case it's the other word I discussed more in detail. It's just because I know Arabic. The verb from the root salah, hitzliah. Anyone who knows Arabic knows that salih is the translation that we have for the word righteous, salih. And then I go on a tangent saying that aslaha is like when you go to a garage and you ask the mechanic to fix your car, we say, Salih, make it functional again. So that, and I'm thankful that you pointed out, you see how, if I'm allowed an aside here, that is the real discussion about the text. You remember in the classroom, I told you, either teach or learn. I do not debate with other people. I debate only with people who are at my level of knowledge, not in the sense of everything, but of the subject matter. Two cardiologists can debate with one another regarding cardiology. But another person would learn, or if you have a professor of cardiology that knows more, he teaches. And we have to get used to that in this society where everybody wants to chip in. No, we don't chip in. And that is a good example of what happened this morning. You brought up Joshua, then you allowed me to bring also something else. It doesn't matter if you have noticed or I have noticed first. It doesn't matter. What matters ultimately is the teaching, the maskil, which is already in the text. We don't pour our knowledge over the text, and I would say this in a loud voice, we do not show off by pouring our knowledge over the text. No, we submit to the text. So here we have a much richer play, and interestingly, this is at the beginning of the book of Joshua, which is the first one in the series of the so-called story of the disobedient Israel. You see how the Bible is corresponding all the way. We have it in Genesis, we have it in Joshua, then we have it in Psalms, and we have it in Daniel. And this is how we discover that things are not happenstance. It's not because the Bible is not happenstance. No, it's not a bumper sticker, this statement. It's a lot of sweat before it. So here, 
your bringing Joshua allowed me to point out this connection in Daniel between the wise and the righteous and thus one who prospers because you have this word meaning exactly what it means uh, this is to succeed if you like you have a text in conjunction with David and so on. so we cannot say no it doesn't mean so I hear what you said Richard that in this particular case of Joshua, it is really not enough and thus dangerous to go softly for a translation for prosperity. Abram was very prosperous, but the poor guy couldn't have a son. So there we go. What is prosperity? You have to prosper in the teaching of God. And I'm convinced, and in this case, I'm sure many other people are convinced, this is the meaning of the title psalm of the book of Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands on the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And here again, people translate the original Hebrew as meditates, as though you are doing your own meditation. You don't do. Your meditation is your own thoughts that are not the thoughts of God. The original word in Hebrew is Hagah, and anyone who knows Arabic knows that Tahajja in Arabic means to spell out. In other words, you have a word, I say to you, spell it. Tell me which are the consonants and the vowels that are used. This is exactly the word. It is as though you are repeating the words of the Torah. You're not giving your own meditation about it. A good example. It's good that you took me on this aside. Any place I went, Australia, South America, Lebanon, North America, when I refer to this psalm, everybody or Everybody appeals to it to tell me, because, you know, I'm against meditation, personal meditation. Tell me, but in Psalm 1, and immediately my retort is to tell them, you're not hearing the original text. So the prosperity is the prosperity that God gives to you in order to invite you to be obedient to him. Notice at the beginning, he planted a garden. He gave the human being all that he had. The human being in his small garden had the water that watered the entire universe. Okay, be happy. Just live according to my wish. But then after that, as Chrysostom taught us, when the human being disobeyed, God gave specifically a detailed law that the human being was bound by. And the whole Bible is precisely a retelling of the effort, not so much of the human being, but of God trying to get the human being back in shape. I think the best way to illustrate the way wisdom functions as being the teaching itself is the setting where you have a bunch of adults gathered and suddenly a young child who's able to read, which we know in the Semitic languages wouldn't be the case because they're more complicated. But with the English language, it's possible for a young child, even preteen, to stand up in front of a large group of people and read. And the first time I heard a child read the letters of Paul in that setting, it really struck me. It's irrelevant at that moment. It's irrelevant what the child thinks, because when they pronounce the words written on the page, they functionally become wise to the assembly. 
allowing the text to control what is said and what is done is much more powerful than people realize. You triggered this thought when you're talking about Psalm 1, because I've always viewed Psalm 1 as an invitation to seek wisdom within the pages of the text. I mean, just it's almost like a title to the whole program. Your example is very interesting because even if the child does not understand the meaning of the word, if the child reads it correctly, then at least a good number of the adults would be hearing what is read aloud, not what the child is reading. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if one expands on that along the lines of the discussion started by Dr. Benton with Joshua and my reply, one notices that this applies also if you have only adults around you, because it remains how the word is used in the context it appears. Prosperity, righteousness, and so on. I have to hear the entire sentence, the entire set of verses without pushing in this direction because it's much more complicated. But when I discovered that we have another sakal with a different letter, is it used on purpose or not? It needs a study. You see, it's not as simplistic as it appears because the original authors are not with us. And especially if one takes into consideration my thesis that I develop in the book, that the biblical language is a language on its own. It was concocted from many different Semitic languages, concocted by the authors. So what I'm saying, if I may, makes sense within my thesis. And my thesis, I'm convinced that it is correct, because all the other theses cannot answer all the questions raised by the text. They begin with assumptions, and then after that, you control the text. Imagine someone, if the assumption is that in Psalm 1, we have the verb meditate, and everybody starts meditating, that's the beginning of the end. That's what the serpent invited Eve to do. Let's meditate together. I love this even. I love, you know what I mean, but I love. I can't stand it when people say, let's meditate together. <laughs> How can you meditate together? If you meditate, you meditate on your own. But here, people convince you that you have to have a teacher who teach you how to meditate and you have to pay him money for telling you what you're supposed to do on your own. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> But it makes money, Father Paul. <laughs> okay, okay. That's, that's the answer. It makes you prosperous, but not in the way that yeah, we're talking it about. It makes the teacher prosperous. That's <laughs> yes. good. Yeah. But Joshua was not a teacher. He was a student of the law. <laughs> so Richard just passed me a note that I have to share with you. It's Psalm 119, 99 to 100. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. There 119, 119. You remember yeah. what I told you in the classroom. On purpose, the monks decided to wake all the other monks at midnight. And you go to church, you say, what is this silly service? And the whole service is for you to stand and listen endlessly to Psalm 119. It's Hiskalti. More than all my teachers have I become maskil, is basically what it's saying, because your precepts are my meditation. Here, again, the main thing is to see where maskil appears. Your reference, Richard, tops it all. It says it between this and Psalm 1, verse 2, you have, uh, if you like, the entire Bible. <laughs> we take these terms for granted 
and it's because of the lie of translation to come full circle with the beginning of the show. It's the lie of translation. We read a text in English, and because we understand what's written in English, we immediately, as native English speakers, miss the point, and we're convinced of the wrong point because we're overconfident in the language. If you ask anybody, what does wisdom mean? Everyone thinks they're an expert. They think it's an easy word to explain or meditation. But I think when you deal with the terminology in the original language, in some ways, someone who studies Hebrew, it isn't someone for whom it's easily accessible. In some ways, they have a better chance sometimes of stumbling over the text and learning to conform their mind, as Paul says, because they're working against themselves. So things are just a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? Obtuse dealing with the text. So I think this is really important. And we don't do enough of this when we do Bible study. So I'm thankful that you spent the time on the word this morning, Father. No, and I thank both of you for coming in. You know, I would like my readers, these are my comments at the end, is that I hope my readers have noticed how one can get in a fruitful prosperous give and take if the interlocutors have the same reference. In other words, as we say in English, we may use the same tongue but speak two different languages. The interlocutors have to speak the same language. Let's go to the three of us who know Hebrew, that it's not enough that we know Hebrew. It's just when we are referring to the text we take into consideration and we listen to one another. The way I said something, Richard brought Joshua, I made an extra comment on Joshua. Then later you pointed out that Richard showed you a text from Psalm 119. And that's what I'm talking about. And I hope I need to say this at the end of this podcast, that the readers have noticed that. If they have not, they should re-listen to the podcast and notice that specific aspect. That's why I keep saying to everybody who asks me, inviting them not to say we listen to the MP3 of Father Paul on the rise of Scripture, because with the book, I did many extra strides because it gave me the opportunity to delve more deeply into the text. And this is how we progress and prosper in the hearing of the text. The knowledge is already there. I mean, you don't hear the text to acquire extra knowledge. No, the knowledge is already there. You just keep hearing the text and it comes up suddenly at one point, suddenly in the sense that you will notice it for the first time. Thank you very much, Father Paul. This is a fantastic episode. Thanks, Richard. I know you're on vacation. It's good to have you back. It's great to be back. And I look forward to our next conversation, as always. Take care. Thank you, Chad. Bye-bye. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.